Gen X Playback, episode number 36. to the Gen X Playback Show, your favorite show about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We are the Brothers High. I am Scott. And I'm Sean. And you are listening to McFadden and Whitehead. Yeah. Ain't no stopping us now. And I'm going to say, I know why you're playing this. <laughs> well, you know, we have people across the, the country, in the United States, and around the world. Uh, we make no bones about the fact of what sports teams that we follow. And the Gen X members of our show from the Philadelphia area. We'll remember the song quite well. So go ahead, Sean. So this was back in the 1970s, kind of the theme song for the Philadelphia Phillies, back when they were kind of making their, their various runs for the playoffs. Uh, I thought you were going to play the version where I think Larry Bow was singing back up. Was Gary Maddox on that recording? No, that was actually a single because Dave Cash was on that as okay. well. Yeah. Uh, and I've heard it. But I'm too young to remember when it came out. I just right. remember that it was done. Uh, they played it on the radio. They did. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. So this is we're recording this the day after the Phillies clinched the um, the divisional series. Yes. So they hopefully when this airs, they've already moved on to the World Series. That would certainly be nice. And uh, you know the Phillies knocked off the Atlanta Braves. So we have we have listeners down in Atlanta. Uh, just like, you know, with us being Eagles fans, we have Dallas, I'm sure we have Dallas Cowboys fans that listen to the Gen X Playback Show. Uh, so we try not to, you know, we're not the kind of sports fans that that like to rub it in. You know, there's always been so many comments about Philadelphia fans that have been tossed out there. And we certainly, I don't think, fit into that category where uh, Philly fans have been called classless you know, always the reference of throwing snowballs at Santa Claus seems yeah, to make like its way. Yeah, before we were born. <laughs> so, um, but the fact is that uh, the Phillies had quite an accomplishment knocking knocking down a, an extremely good team. The Atlanta Braves set all kinds of records this year. I don't want to take anything away from them, but the Phils are playing really well right now. And as fans, we want to uh, wish them well as they move on to the National League Championship Series. And this song... Believe it or not, Sean, I have the 45 from McFadden and Whitehead that has the Phillies Got the Groove on it. Oh, okay. I do. I, I got do it. Do you know the lyrics to that? It, it was like just ain't no stopping us now the yeah, Phillies Got much, the Groove. Yeah, it's pretty much yeah. the same except the chorus. Yeah. So I, I I found that. They're on the move, wasn't it, that they got the groove, they're on the move? It's the, the Phillies, they're on the move, the Phillies Got the Groove. Okay. And it's one of those, it's just one of those iconic songs that for us as you know, sports fans, it, it does have a lot of nostalgia to it. It's a Gen X era thing. I remember them playing that in 1980 when the Phillies went to the playoffs. This was this was a very prominent part of you know that playoff run 
for the uh, for the Phillies back then and when they won their first world championship. So, well, if that was if Dave Cash was on that, that would be like 1976. The the one that the song that you're talking about, yeah, that was yeah, that was like 75, 76 okay. is when they did that. Um, but this is uh, this McFadden Whitehead part of the Philly Soul sound, the Philly International Gamble and Huff. So many big time uh, you know artists that came through. Lou Rawls, the Spinners. Uh, it was a great era for Philadelphia music. Oh, yeah. It does have its lasting impression. McFadden and Way had actually, they were known more as songwriters for mm-hmm. these other artists, and then they decided to cut an album themselves, and they ended up having a pretty big hit song. Yeah, that's a good one. It's I, I don't get tired of that one. So we want to give a shout-out to the great city of Philadelphia and our listeners in the Philadelphia area. You know, whether you're from uh, you know the surrounding parts, whether you're from Montgomery County, Delaware County, uh uh, Chester County, Berks County, uh, you know, everybody is, there's a, there's a big Philly fan base in this area. So we wish the, the Fightins well as they go into the playoffs. All right. So episode 36, Sean, mm-hmm. uh, you wanted to, we, we kind of hovered around it. I mean, we talked about us growing up, you know, with, with a dad that was always a fan of country music. Right. And I think that you wanted to because it was always part of our lives it was and so you wanted to have a little bit of a you know talking about that country music uh influence which there was quite a bit of it in the gen x era yeah you know country music was you know it might seem unusual for the listeners of our show the music that we normally play to find out you know that scott and i grew up kind of listening to country music just like we grew up listening to pop music and you know, we did a whole uh, episode on the uh, don't call them hair bands. Obviously, that was my my genre that I was really into. I, some people might say it couldn't be more different than country music, but I don't know. I kind of disagree. I you know there's there's a lot of similarities, especially in the musicianship. And today, there's a lot of you know music that would have probably fit in well in the Gen X era is not country music. And what really surprised me when I actually went back and looked at the songs, the years that they came out, mm-hmm. and the charts that they were a part of, there's a, you know, it's just one slice of a lot of different types of music that were on the charts at the time. Right. So, I, you know, Scott and I really didn't want to talk about this, uh, but it turns out we kind of had the same criteria for when we selected our artists. And that was, these are crossover hits. Mm-hmm. These, and... And, uh, you know, I think specifically in the Gen X era, probably for, you know, as much as any other time, you had artists that were country artists that started appearing on the, the pop charts, on the Billboard 100. So, uh, you know, I said our criteria for both Scott and I, I think everyone from maybe except for one or two songs we might play tonight, everybody appeared on the Billboard Top 100. Correct. And Not the country charts, but this is the actual Billboard 100. And, you know, just looking at my list, because I actually have a total of 28. Uh, so, you know, this is going to be at least a two-part episode. Oh, yeah. But, I'm, you know, just kind of glancing down here at my list, I'm looking at at least, at least six or seven of these songs were number one Billboard hits. Yeah, I, I have a, a lot of those as well. So, I think kind of without further ado why don't we get into it and, and i think scott and i both did the same thing where we broke this down according to decade yeah and i know you said you're probably stronger and heavier in the 70s i think i probably have some more 80s and 90s artists so we'll we'll, we'll 
do all of our artists by decade. So why don't you kick us off, Scott? We'll let you do your 70s artist, and then we'll come over and we'll do mine. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start my list going all the way back to 1972. Okay. All right. So I was born in 1971, so I don't have an instant memory of the song. However, it was such a good and popular song that I do remember it on the radio as a kid. So by the time in... We talked about popular music back in the day that if something was still listened to on the radio a year later or a year afterwards, that it was a major deal and a major hit. And the fact is, I remember hearing this song probably at the age of five or six, which would have been you know four or five years after it hit number one on the charts. Okay. But I think this particular artist, while he didn't have a tremendously long and lasting career i think he influenced people in a lot of ways girl you're getting that look in your eyes and it's starting to worry me Ready for no family ties Nobody's gonna hurry me Just keep it friendly girl Cause I don't wanna leave Don't start clinging to me girl Cause I can't breathe Baby, baby, don't get hooked on So, Sean, I know you've spoken about this this particular singer before. This mm-hmm. is Mac Davis. It is. And the song is Baby Don't Get Hooked on Me. It went to number one in 1972. Right. And I, I think Mac Davis fell into that, or I wouldn't say fell. He was a part of that group that were, in the 70s, I think the 70s, they were so good at the TV personality. You know, a guy who had some success maybe somewhere else, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you started seeing him Maybe not necessarily just as a singer. I'm, what I remember Mac Davis for was being on TV. Right. I think I remember seeing him on an episode of like The Love Boat or something like that. He was somebody that kind of appeared in those episodes. I, I think he might uh, have appeared in an episode of like Quincy. You know, it was that sort of thing where yes. he would. He was an actor. Usually he played a country singer. Yes. <laughs> no, he didn't stray too far. But yes, this was, and he, and when I I played this song oh many episodes ago when we talked about variety shows. And, you know, Mac Davis did a a great job of playing a quarterback in the movie North Dallas 40. Right. And to me, that's like that. I don't, I didn't know Mac Davis was a singer as a little kid. I just remember him from being on television. And Mm -hmm. then you learn later, oh, he was quite a popular country singer. Right, and this was a this was a huge country song that went number one on both charts, and it was quite an accomplishment. I mean, I think there were a few, there were very few artists that had the ability to bridge both charts back then. And I think what they did was they kind of kicked the door down for other country artists to follow, mm-hmm. and kind of introduced the mainstream American uh, listeners to country music. Sure, because you would have your listeners that 
watched Hee Haw. But I don't know how much crossover there was with, you know, the general population with Hee Haw. Like, right. like we've talked about before that our family watched Hee Haw. Mm-hmm. So we were very familiar with a lot of these, you know, country singers. A lot of country singers who had number one after number one after number one country song, but never made it on to the, uh, the Billboard charts. Right. But, you know, Mac Davis, I, I agree with you. I, I know of more from just being on TV. And he kind of falls in, you know, fits into the same category as I mentioned Jerry Reed before. Yes, sure. You know, Jerry Reed mm-hmm. was a very successful singer and ended up being the cool snowman in the Smoking the Bandit movies. So. Which is the first time I ever saw him. <laughs> so I, you know, but I probably did see him on like a hee haul before that. I just yeah. didn't really make the connection. Yeah. All right. So that was my first song, 1972, Mac Davis, Baby Don't Get Hooked on Me, went to number one on the US Billboard Hot 100. Uh, my next song, and this is another artist that we've spoken about many, many times, and she just had an amazing career. Started out not only as a country singer, but a country singer from Australia. Yeah, this is Olivia Newton-John, and the song is Let Me Be There mm-hmm. from 1973. And I listen to the song, and it just kind of makes me crack up, because if you listen to the guy singing bass in the yeah. background, he's really going all over the place. Oh, that, that throat is really reverberating. He's really rocking it. He's got that frog voice going on. <laughs> but Olivia Newton-John uh, set so many standards for, I think, for country music, because she was one of the first artists in country music to not necessarily be from the southern belt of the United States of America. And so there were quite a few artists that would come to follow after her. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just a few that come to mind, and you may or may not hear these names later, but Anne Murray from Canada, uh, Shania Twain from Canada, uh, Keith Urban from Australia. And it, it allowed country audiences she was an extremely popular country singer Mm -hmm. yes she was but i think this song here in 1973 which went to number six on the billboard chart i think it showed her appeal was broader than just the country charts and her this is very much a country song and but her she started to get a little bit more of a pop sensibility as her career went on to the point of where, after the movie Grease, she essentially, you know, abandons country music altogether. She does. And, you know, once again, another artist, much like you were talking about with Mac Davis and Jerry Reed, where, you know, we may have known who she was, but it didn't really connect with us quite like it did after we saw her in Grease. And you're correct. You know, Grease is so popular, and she kind of goes on and has her, her solo career in the late 70s, early 80s, where she is a flat-out pop star. But... I think you could probably compare her, you know, to somebody contemporary like today, like a Taylor Swift, mm-hmm. where, you know, start out very much completely country and only known by the country uh, uh, fans and then becomes, you know, a big international pop star. That's a good point. I never, never really thought about it that way. Uh, so that was 
1973, Olivia Newton-John, Let Me Be There. It went to number six on the Billboard Hot 100 charts. And the, kind of the reason why I brought up that story about how she was sort of groundbreaking as far as being a country artist from somewhere else outside of the southern United States is the next song I'm going to play was probably one of the most, most vocal critics of Olivia Newton-John being a part of the Country Music Awards because there was, believe it or not, there was, there was some backlash going on back then about whether or not she should have been considered what? for Country Music Awards. Sweet, nice Olivia Newton-John, come on. And here is another song that went to number one in the same year. And it's just interesting that this guy was probably... Hey, did you happen to see the most beautiful girl in the world? And if you did, was she crying, crying? Hey. If you happen to see the most beautiful girl that walked out on me, tell her I'm sorry. Tell her I need my baby. So this is Charlie Rich. It is, yeah. And Charlie Rich helped, was one of the main backers of there being a split in the Country Music Awards. That there was going to be a, a, a part of Country Music Awards that were going to be dedicated to those that were more in the traditional sense of country music. Which, which is funny, I mean, when you listen to this song... Mm-hmm. It has a huge amount of pop sensibility to it. I don't know that it's any different than what Olivia Newton-John put out there. I don't think it is at all, and that's why I thought they were good back-to-back, because he was so he was uh, vocally opposed to her involvement you know, as a quote-unquote country music singer. Right. And yet here, here's two songs that came out in the same year, and they could probably flip-flop yep. vocals on both songs, and they would probably sound very similar. You can hear a little bit of steel guitar crying in the background. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit, but there's an orchestra. Yeah, it's got a lot of strings in it, and it's not a fiddle, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right, right. Because obviously there are a lot of, there's a lot of bluegrass with a lot of, uh, but it's not a violin, it's a fiddle. And so. I guarantee you, you were not going to hear this at a honky-tonk. I don't know. You I, may, mean, not, I mean, you, you'd hear the recording, but I'm saying you're not going to hear an orchestra at a honky tonk. No, if he's playing live, I doubt it. But Unless, like coming up, that's you know, if someone's covering him, that's you know, they're not going to they're not going to add the strings. Right. So that was Charlie Rich from 1973, a song that went to number one on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. Uh, jumping ahead to uh, 1974, and here is an artist that really kind of exploded on the scene and became a, a huge part of the 1970s. But this is kind of where it got started. With a guy with known as one of the most beautiful singing voices you fill up my in music. It be John Denver. Like mm-hmm. night in a forest Like the mountains in springtime Like a walk in the rain like a storm in the desert Like a sleepy blue ocean You fill up my senses Come fill me again And this is Annie's song. 
1974, another number one song on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart. Right, and I, I always like uh, when people talk about John Denver's actual real name. The, the, the you know, his name was Henry John Deutschendorf. That's right, Deutschendorf. And you know, I forget who he was singing with. I don't know, like the Christy Minstrel Singers or something like that. And it, it was, it was a you know, one of those bands from the 60s that right. they were doing that style of music and I guess they said Deutschendorf wasn't going to fit on the billboard so he came up with something much shorter Denver that's right uh, it's like the book I'm reading right now about John Mellencamp yeah you know he was I, I can't sell Mellencamp I can sell Johnny Cougar mm-hmm. so he became John Denver instead of John Deutschendorf see John Cougar worked for John Denver yeah I you know John Denver again much like Mac Davis, much like Jerry Reed, ended up having an acting career late in the 70s. He starred in one of the biggest movies, I think it was 1978, which was Oh God with George Burns. It was. Uh, and then, was he in the original Muppet movie? He was, yes. Yes, he absolutely was. And of course, he had his variety show. That was 1979. And I think I think what impresses me the most, when you go back and, and listen to John Denver's music, or if you watch him on YouTube live it's the the song is so simply done uh, a lot of times it's when you if you watch him on youtube and he's playing live in front of a uh, in front of an audience usually at the most it's him on guitar and somebody else on guitar and they're uh, playing guitar and singing harmony and it's it's just such a simple uh, but his it allowed his voice to stand out even more and he was known for having one of the better voices of his time and that just shows an individual talent. And, you know, I, I rail against this all the time. I hate autotune. And one of the things that I always appreciated in the past was someone that had musical talent, that actually could sing, that it could be stripped down with just an acoustic guitar and a microphone, and you could be memorized by, uh, mesmerized by somebody like a John Denver. Yeah. Um, you know, not somebody I... I I was very aware of John Denver, as mm-hmm. was everybody. I think what I remember most about John Denver, I don't know if you remember the the commercials that they used to run on TV for his greatest hits. Do you remember that? Uh, Where it would have any song playing in the background. And, and there'd be like eagles soaring in the background. Yes, and, yeah. It'd be like the woods and yeah. like, ladies and gentlemen, John Denver. Mm-hmm. And then we'd talk about, you know. There'd the, be streams. The and, yes. Right. And they, they, they promoted that, you know, his greatest hits album pretty heavily on TV. If I remember correctly, but that they, I remember so many of those cool. They used to do with Frankie Valley. I mean, Mm -hmm. they did it with a lot of artists back in those days. Made you want to take a trip to Colorado, (laughs) which we did when we were little kids. Which we did. It was right around this time too. I mean, was I would have been four, so that would have been 1975. Yeah, Yeah, right, sure, right about this time. Yeah, yeah. So uh, maybe that's why we went to Colorado. Actually, no. Our parents lived out there for a little bit, and then we were out seeing some of their friends. That's right. 1974, John Denver, Annie Song, number one song on the pop charts. The next song I have is from 1975, and this was a this was a group that had quite a bit of success, and they were they were primarily known as a crossover band. I think from the time they started, and they were uh, they kind of were originated in the Ohio area.
see why you think you belong to me I never tried to make you think or let you see one thing for yourself But now you're off with someone else and I'm alone You see I thought that I might keep you for my own Amy, what you wanna do? And this is Pure Prairie League, and the song is Amy from 1975. And what I find interesting about this, Sean, is this may be one of the songs that on my list you will probably hear from time to time today. Sure. Yeah. Now, of, of that, this may be the first song that we've covered that you probably will still hear occasionally today. But yet this one only charted at number 27 on the Billboard charts. And which to me, you know, is the, is the irony of you know, how people remember songs. But you'll still hear this on on the radio. I don't ever remember a time in my life where I didn't hear this song. Yeah, and it, it's one of those songs. Kind of, it kind of fits into that that mold where it sort of is a defining song of the decade. When you're thinking about you know those crossover songs, maybe the singer songwriters, uh, you know, performance bands like that. It it has really held up over time and it's one of the one of the few on this list that you'll still hear it fits very nicely into the sound that the eagles had in mm. the in the early days maybe they're on your list maybe they're not but it does kind of have that not necessarily the uh, a nashville sound mm-hmm. but it has a little more of that california cowboy sound right and you know you and i had a conversation about it because it took us a long time to learn the difference between country music and western music sure because there is a difference and it's a different sound and like you said it's not it's not necessarily the the plucky honky tonk Mm -hmm. like we were probably more used to there isn't a twang to it right it and and you make a good point when you mentioned the eagles because it, it is there was there was a different type of of outdoorsy kind of music that was going on in the west sure different than what we were used to here in the east coast right you can you can almost visualize the guys with their beards and you know kind of the uh the uh almost like flannel shirts that they might have on what's interesting to me is if when um, i'm on the screen here i have their greatest hits album and on the cover is a um it looks appears to be a guy from mexico he's got a sombrero on his on his head and he's sitting there and he's wiping his brow in the heat ah so if you know it basically screams you know southwest sure to to anybody that's looking at the cover which i think is kind of cool so that's amy from the pure prairie league 1975 and that only went to number 27 on the chart but maybe the most memorable song on on my country crossover list so the next one I have going to 1976, and this was a huge song. I remember I remember this on the radio as a little kid, even at five years old. So let that be 
That is the Bellamy Brothers, and the song is Let Your Love Flow, which went to number one. It was a big number one hit. Oh, absolutely. And this this is another song that has really stood up well over the years. Right. I, I enjoy this song a lot. And it's just a well done, you know, we talk about well done pop songs, but I think in the, in, the, in the area of trying to make a song three and a half minutes or less, this is a very well crafted song song whether it's country pop or whatever and it's kind of like the pure prairie league it's it's kind of like the eagles it it has that that sound where it's country it's mm-hmm. definitely country but it has a lot of pop sensibilities and you can see why it would cross over i i was having a hard time kind of dating it when you start playing it and I, I looked it up it's 1976 but it's another song that i've just heard so much throughout my life right that i don't necessarily m- mark a, a time with this song yeah you know i think as we got older you could kind of hear a song and it'll kind of take you back to a time and place sure and this is probably just a little i i I kind of have a memory of this song and i i believe we went on a we went on a trip i think it was out to like ohio or something like that and i remember this song playing on the radio we're at the campground riding Mm -hmm. our bikes okay and sure that, that could have been the case we had this it was like a big circle and everybody parked their campers like in this big ramp because people drove around. Oh, I, re- I remember the camper that you're place. talking about. Sure, yeah. I remember that song being, I pretty much, I'm pretty sure I remember that song being played outside when we were playing on our bikes out out in that campground. See, my memory of this song in the Bellamy Brothers is them just appearing on either a talk show or, or a variety show. You know, it, it would have been on the, like the Mike Douglas show, something where they're performing. Okay. And I... I chose the Bellamy Brothers over, um, what was it, England, Dan, and John, John Coley. Coley. Yeah, I, yeah, because the reason I did that is I couldn't, I didn't want to label them as country, even though Dan Seals ended up going on to have a big country career. He did, sure. And But I think their, their music was pretty more pop-oriented uh, in the 70s. That's right, he wasn't tennessee dan at that time he was england dan that's right um so that was uh, my number six song from 1976 the bellamy brothers and let your love flow that went to number one on the billboard charts Uh, my next song the next artist is probably going to be you know the poster boy on the mount rushmore of of artists that when you think of crossover hits he is one of the best and i didn't play a song from earlier but this is the one I this is one I remember being on the radio. So that's why I, I chose this particular song. But in the nineteen seventies on TV, this guy was everywhere. And this is Glenn Campbell.
to anyone who can truly say that and Sean, you you and I have talked about Glenn Campbell on this show before, mm-hmm. and Glenn Campbell was t- just so immensely talented. And as a kid, you hear the stories now about some of the things he did, like playing with the Beach Boys mm-hmm. on tour. And but what I remember about Glenn Campbell, whenever I would see him perform on television. Is he was such a charismatic performer, you know. Right. He he looked like he was having such a good time up there, laughing and smiling and joking. But when he would play and sing, he sounded just like you're hearing right now. the The guy was very gifted as a performer, and yeah, he, he's well documented some of the you know substance abuse struggles that he unfortunately went through in his life. But uh, what a talent! I mean, just what an immense talent and. This song, again, another number one song on the Billboard charts, but this wasn't his first Billboard number one song either. It wasn't. So the uh, what his first number one probably was Wichita Lyman. Was that like 1969? I think it was 67. Okay. All right. So yeah. it was a little bit before that. Because I know he's at this time, that's like 1977 for mm-hmm. this song. He's already had his variety show. He's now just kind of going out there as a solo artist. And he, he was somebody that... You and I would have seen on television a lot. A lot. Yeah, you're right. A lot. And just, you know, we knew him more of a singer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a front man, you know, he's kind of strumming along. But, you know, then you get later on, as you get older, you hear the history of Glenn Campbell and that he was one of the top studio musicians out there, period. I mean, one of the best guitar players ever. Yeah, he was in such demand to play in the studio that it was hard for him to tour. And what ended up happening was he was away from home too much. And, and he just got burned out. And in order for him to keep going, he, he turned to, you know, substances, yeah, right? substances yeah. to, to try and keep him going. And unfortunately, you know, it, it was not a good recipe for him. But you're right. I mean, he was such a good musician mm-hmm. that he, it was hard for him to tour as a front man. And I think he was part of that famous wrecking crew that was out there in California that were, they, they performed on most of the of the pop songs that were being made out in California at that time. I think you're right, yeah. Yep, so that was uh, my seventh song from 1977, Glenn Campbell, Southern Nights, number one on the charts. I actually have a lot. This was a big year for country crossovers. Uh, you know, I started with Glenn Campbell, and here is another absolutely huge crossover artist, very well known. This is probably her, known her first crossover hit. So this is the great Dolly Parton. The song is Here You Come Again, and again, this is from 1977. This song went to number three on the Billboard charts, and this marked a, a considerable shift in Dolly's career because she spent the early part of her career in the 60s singing with Porter Wagner. Correct. And it was a, it was a very difficult, because Porter wanted to retire. 
I don't know if you heard that story. I, I didn't know that. Uh, you know, Dolly was extremely young when oh, they started oh, yeah. singing together. Yeah, and, very young. And Porter Wagner was at the end of his career, but they had such great chemistry together. And Porter said he probably hung on for a couple more years just because Dolly didn't want him to quit. Well, I definitely remember Porter Wagner and Dolly Parton on Hee Haw. Yeah, and so for Dolly, it was a, it was not an easy thing for her to go out there on her own. So she started out, and she had a few albums that were in the early 70s with mixed success. And this album was the shift in she got a new manager. And this manager said, I think you can go to a broader audience. And so this album was specifically designed to have a crossover appeal to it. And this song is what really kind of put her out in the mainstream to the whole United States with a hit song. So for our listeners, kind of pay attention to what you just heard there. I mean, it's late. He's, he's always, Scott already played the song. But that sound that you heard, I think, is kind of what's going to be coming into vogue. And so that was 1977. 77. So, and so for the next five years or so, a lot of the country crossover artists are going to have a similar sound where you're not hearing the steel guitar. You're not hearing that twanging Telecaster sound that there's a piano playing. It's definitely a country artist and it was played on country radio mm-hmm. but it was not directed specifically to a country artist i don't know that charlie rich would have liked that right i mean kind of what you were saying that he wanted to have a different category right um but that was that was dolly parton here you come again from 1977 that went to number three on the charts another one from 1977 and the uh, the, the lady in this song had a great pedigree and this was this I would say this this song is probably more country sounding than what Dolly's is. This definitely has a little bit more of a honky tonk sound to it. And this is Crystal Gale from 1977. Don't know when I've been so blue. Don't know what's come over you. You found someone. And don't it make my brown eyes blue I'll be fine So this is Crystal Gale Don't it make my brown eyes blue From 1977 Went all the way to number two On the Billboard chart uh, Crystal Gale, the sister of Loretta Lynn Correct um, And Loretta Lynn is known as the first lady of country music Crystal had a pretty good career in the late 70s, early 80s. She did. This wasn't her only hit on the pop charts. Right. Now, the sound that we're hearing, to me, sounds very similar to Dolly's song. It starts to get there, yeah. Yeah, you're right. The the twinkling of the piano in the beginning, for me, is a little bit more of of a, like a Nashville kind of sound. But you're right. right. It does start to go into that area. You're right. You're correct. It's got, the, the, the piano's got a little bit of, a little snap to it. You know, that, that little honky-tonk type of sound to it, but it's still kind of a basic drum and piano, and it's it doesn't have the full range of, of Nashville country-style instruments. You're right, and I think country music started to... They wanted to broaden their appeal. Right. Because much like... And I'm going to use the, the comparison of NASCAR, you know, the sport NASCAR. And for so many years, NASCAR was southern you know southeast uh maybe maybe the southern part of the united states there was a little bit of popularity up north but it had didn't have a full appeal 
to everybody. It was a, you know, more or less a regional sport. Uh, country music could probably fit into that as well. I mean, there's there have always been country fans around, but to to really hit mainstream popularity, uh, they needed to get to more listeners. Mm-hmm. And I think this was these songs represent a really big step for country music, especially for Nashville, where they started to kind of like open the doors a little bit and be more accepting of uh, that country music could sound. A little bit different, a little bit more mainstream. Right, and I, I was just thinking about it, you know, with that, that kind of piano sound on the back. It's a little bit of a Jerry Lee Lewis, kind of just a little bit of a, of a almost like a, a, a swing to it okay. that still kind of made a little country. And then a year later, I think when you hear Dolly's song, it's not there. It's just a straight piano. Okay. All right, so that was Crystal Gale, Don't Make My Brown Eyes Blue from 1977. My next song from 1977 is an artist that by the end of this decade is not even considered a country singer but at this point she still is and you had talked you had brought up a the band the eagles and their whole creation was as the backing band to linda ronstadt who we're hearing right now right since I left my baby behind on Blue Bayou Saving nickels, saving dimes Working till the sun don't shine Looking forward to happier times on Blue Bayou And when she really starts to go into the chorus there, that's when you really feel the the southwestern uh, inspiration that that is in a lot of her music actually. Mm-hmm. And what I didn't know about Linda Ronstadt as a kid, and found out later, was that all of her material were, was done by other singers. Like she did, like she all, write anything. She did like all covers, all cover songs. But I guess I that couldn't have said that. I guess that goes to show how brilliant she was because I never connected the songs with what she did. It was like they were very much her original voice in these in these songs. Right, and also you know our history that we tend to look back on is our lives. Right. So while at that time you know we're hearing this for the first time what year was this song out 1977 so 77 so i mean we're young i'm six <laughs> right yeah. so i'm nine yeah i don't have much knowledge before this song comes out sure so you know i'm hearing this this is an original to me right okay but it's the first time i ever heard it on the on the radio but i do remember hearing this on the radio oh, sure sure but she grew up in i believe it was arizona is where she grew up I don't think it was New Mexico. Okay, can tell you. But I'm pretty sure she grew up in Arizona, and you can really hear kind of the the Mexicali type of uh, type of sound when they're doing the chorus on the song, and very cool. It's a uh, it's a really good song, "Blue by You" by Linda Ronstadt from 1977. My next song from 1977 did not hit the Billboard charts, but. The reason I play that is because it was featured very prominently on one of our favorite TV shows as little kids. 
Okay. So it was a hit, and it was known in the mainstream, but it didn't really chart on the uh, on the Billboard charts. But I just thought it'd be funny to um, kind of revisit this Take particular this song. Job and it did chart. Where? On no Billboard. Because I have it on my list. Oh, it was number 72. Okay. Low. Okay. Barely in the 100. Okay. But in 1978, it did chart. Okay. So do you remember this on TV? There was a show, right? Or Dukes of Hazard? Do they they play this in the Dukes? They remember every once in a while on the Dukes of Hazard, like Johnny Paycheck made an appearance. They would remember the the boss Boss Hogg's famous speed trap. Yeah. And what they would do is they would find out that a that a uh, celebrity is a you know somebody a famous singer is driving mm-hmm. through Hazard County. <laughs> what so better they, way to get them on the show? So they would set up the speed trap. And then they would make them play at the Boar's Nest to pay off the. Instead of writing a check for the speeding ticket, they just play a song or two for free at the, right. at the Boar's Nest. And when Johnny Paycheck sang this song, uh, you know, I'm looking at his picture on the album cover. He looks angry on the album cover. <laughs> Johnny Paycheck looked like an angry dude. I mean, I know he he had done time. He was in prison and heavy drug addict. Had a lot of issues, <laughs> right. out, you know, outside on as a free man, but. When he's when he's singing the the song on on the Dukes of Hazard, and he's paying, doing particular particular emphasis on the shove it, and every time they would do that, they would have Roscoe and Boss together, and they'd always have that like startled reaction. Yeah, yeah I do remember that. Okay, they they would go. do the cringe. Yeah. Well, this is a song that I think many 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 people played on their way out the door from, from a job <laughs> sure why not i know i did it <laughs> a job one day put that right out there and blared it on the speakers because hey you know that's kind of that's that's the that's the every man's anthem right there. it is an anthem you're right and it was written by david allen crow um who has written a ton of country hit songs uh, one of those guys that uh had as a songwriter, probably might have been one of the biggest country music songwriters in the 70s and 80s. I mean, he's right up there with some of the names that you're probably familiar with, like Chris Christopherson and some of the other big, big songwriters in country music. But, uh, you know, he wrote this, Johnny Paycheck did it, and it, like you said, I I didn't go back that far on the chart, but yeah. you, you did find it, so yeah, yeah. It, did, it did make it on the chart. And nothing could be more 70s to me. Just the way, you know, just the phrase, shove it. I mean, that is so 1970s. But I think the great thing about it is it's pretty true to country. You know, it's not... It's about rebellion. and But it, as as far as like your typical Nashville sound, yeah, it's pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. It's pretty true to uh, pretty true to its roots. Right. So that was, that was my last song from 1977, Take This Job and Shove It by Johnny Paycheck. I like how you emphasize that shove it there. You got Good that job. right, brother. All right, my next song going to 1978... One of the signature songs for this next artist, even though he had a huge pop career, huge pop career, he would he would go on the Mount Rushmore of crossover artists. On a warm summer's evening, on a train bound for nowhere, I met up with a gambler. We were both too tired to sleep, so we took turns of staring out the window at the darkness. The boredom overtook us And he began to speak 
He said, son, I've made a life Out of reading people's faces Knowing what the cards were By the way they held their eyes So if you don't mind my saying I can see you're out of aces For a taste of your whiskey I'll give you some advice The great Kenny Rogers Who recently passed away a few years ago And this is The Gambler If there ever was a signature song for an artist It was this one Sure, I mean, he was known, that became his nickname He was The Gambler He became known as The Nick, as the Gambler There was there was a TV movie made called The Gambler mm-hmm. And he starred in it And Kenny Rogers, I think what he perfected around this time Was the ability to tell a story in three and a half minutes And he wasn't the first person to record this song Right You know, it, it, it was... Kind of a failed song over and over again. I'm pretty sure Johnny Cash recorded a version of this, and you know, the great Johnny Cash couldn't make it a hit, and it really made Kenny Rogers' career. It did because after this, he comes out with, I believe the name, title of the album was Lady. I think that was the title, but okay. that was one of the songs on mm-hmm. there, and he won a lot of awards, country and pop, in the 1980 1981 uh, time frame. Lionel Richie produced an album for him and. He was a big deal in, he was. in the early 80s. He certainly was a big deal. I don't, you know, this was the song I chose, but he did a song with Dolly in 1982, I think, Islands in the Stream, yep. written by the Bee Gees. Ended up being one of their biggest, both of them, one of their biggest hits of their careers. And it wasn't just, a, he wasn't like, like a Johnny Paycheck where he was like a flicker. Right. Uh, Kenny Rogers had a long and very, uh, very impressive career. In, in a great episode of Seinfeld where they featured Kenny Rogers' chicken. Yes, that's right. And, you know, Kramer became obsessed with it. So, I mean, you know, it, it, anytime you made Seinfeld, if you're that big of a pop star, I mean, that, you're, you're a major deal. Absolutely, and that was from 1978, and uh, that was The Gambler by Kenny Rogers. 1979, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest here, and the first time I remember uh, hearing this song on the radio, it scared me. Okay. Okay? Just because of the lyrical content. Now, keep in mind. I think I know where you're going. The, the song ahead. comes out, I'm eight years old, yeah. right? Yeah, I know this is where you're going. Georgia, he was looking for a soul to steal. He was in a bind because he was way behind and he was willing to make a deal. When he came across this young man sewing on a fiddle and playing it hot, and the devil jumped up on a hickory stump and said, Boy, let me tell you what. I guess you didn't know it, but I'm a fiddle player too. And if you'd care to take a dare, I'll make a bet with you. Now you play pretty good fiddle, boy, but give the devil his due. I bet a fiddle of gold against your soul because I think I'm better than you. The boy said, my name's Johnny and it might be a sin, but I'll take your bet you're going to regret because I'm the best as ever been. Johnny's pretty confident. Uh, yeah. <laughs> of course, this is the Charlie Daniels band, Devil Went Down to Georgia. And what an iconic song. It's When you hear this song, for me, I'm transported back to 1979. I mean, it really just, it takes me back to the the era when the song was released. Sure, you know, it became super popular after it appeared in the Urban Cowboy movie. A year later, yeah. yeah. Right, but it, it was out on the charts before then. 
It was. It, it was funny because I, I'm not. Sure, it was genius that they incorporated it into Urban Cowboy because I think it kind of helped really jumpstart a lot of the songs that came to follow. Yeah. It was kind of a precursor to what was on the rest of the soundtrack. I think it, it kind of gave it. It gave the song new life as far as being played on the radio. But I, I think it was so influential and important in in a lot of the songs that came off that Urban Cowboy song. But this part of the song scared you when you were a little kid. It did. I'm telling you, it did. When the devil was playing the fiddle. I mean, we grew up, you know, in a, in a Christian home, and and we were taught to fear the devil. <laughs> and he's singing about him. I'm scared. And then you heard the devil actually playing the and fiddle. I, and I'm pretty sure I heard this late, at, like not well for me, it was probably late. It was probably nine o'clock. But I remember hearing this at night, and I remember like I was like under the covers like I'm scared was that right after you heard the Moody Blues <laughs> no you, the Moody Blues would have been played after that because you said that scared you when you were a little kid that was late at night okay that was like you woke up you accidentally woke up in the middle of the night nights in white satin and, and also you hear this on the radio you're like what am I hearing yeah see that's why you don't fall asleep <laughs> at the radio on <laughs> no I for many well as you know for decades I did that yeah uh, so the devil went down to Georgia by the Charlie Daniels band from 1979 now um we're getting into 1980, and you're really starting to hear more, like like Sean said, it started with a Dolly Parton song, and you're starting to hear a transition in country music. And this is where uh, people that are recording under country labels are, they're, they're, I think they're more, instead of it just haphazardly appearing on the Billboard charts, I think they're trying to get on the Billboard charts. Okay. All right, so let's start with this song by who is... You know, no question, my favorite country singer of all time. Well, I love a rainy night. I love a rainy night. I love to hear the thunder. Watch the lightning when it lights up the sky. You know it makes me feel good. Well, I love a rainy night. Such a beautiful sight I love to feel the rain on my face Taste the rain on my lips In the moonlight shadows Showers wash all my cares away I wake up to a sunny day Cause I love a rainy night Yeah, I love a rainy night The great Eddie Rabbit well, I concur. I absolutely loved, loved Eddie Rabbit's career. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite performers of all time. I remember staying up late at night specifically to watch him perform on the Midnight Special. This was when the Midnight Special was just about on at the end of its run. Okay. So this would have been like 1980 when he, when he appeared on there. And I stayed up specifically to watch Eddie Rabbit because... One of the things, Eddie Rabbit did a beer commercial on TV. He did. We talked about and, it in the episode. He, wore that, he wore, that, wore that varsity jacket, and I thought yeah. that was the coolest thing ever. They had Eddie Rabbit on the back of it. I wondered one of those. Uh huh. So, um, tour jacket. You know, we talked about, Sean, um, artists that weren't necessarily from the Nashville, I guess the, the typical, the prototypical areas that were known for country music. Eddie Rabbit was born in New York City. Now, granted, at a very early age, he made his way down to Nashville because, as the story is told, he was a huge country fan from the time he was little, and his aspiration was to always be a country music performer. So he went down to Nashville at a very early age, and at when he was young, actually wrote a song that Elvis recorded. Okay. Uh, when Elvis kind of was on that tweener between 
pop and country music. So, uh, you know, he wasn't, even though he wasn't known as being, you know, from like Georgia or from Alabama or any one of those areas, he had a lot of credibility as a country performer. But as you said, Sean, you can really start to hear a difference now in the in the instruments that are being played mm-hmm. behind Eddie Rabbit. It's, it still has a country sound to it, but you're full on, you got a full on Fender bass, you got, you know, drum set. It's not your typical, you know, honky tonk style of music. No, and it was what was happening at the time. I mean, it, it definitely had the whole, uh, you know, crossover. That's kind of the, the emphasis that we're talking about. And I think part of the reason why I wanted to do an episode like this is right about this time, 1980, yeah, probably 79 through 81 is really post-Urban Cowboy, is when this whole crossover movement really hit in full force. And that's kind of a formative time in our lives where mm-hmm. we were really getting into music. And I just remember these these country songs being all over the pop charts. Sure. And I played uh, I Love a Rainy Night from Eddie Rabbit because now we're going to start to get, and the devil went down to Georgia. I Love a Rainy Night went to number one. The devil went down to Georgia, went to number three. The Gambler by Kenny Rogers, surprisingly, Sean, only went to number 16 on the pop chart. Yet again, it's one of those songs that you probably remember more than some of the other ones that we'll hear. I was kind of surprised when I did look that one up and, you know, I saw the listing. I was I was stunned, to be mm-hmm. honest with you, because that is such, a, you know, a signature song for him. Right. But that just goes to show that, you know, for the, for the few months that it was on the charts, all right, it, it did well. But it definitely has had, you know, a 45 plus year career right now with yeah. that song. Absolutely. Um, so that was Eddie Rabbit, I Love a Rainy Night from 1980. Uh, 1980 also produced, as we talked about, the Urban Cowboy soundtrack. This was one of the bigger hits off of it. And uh, I think this is her, this artist's signature song. And this is Anne Murray, who hails from Canada. Hello. So this is Anne Murray, and Anne Murray was another one that they would uh, they would hype on TV commercials and say, you know, the Anne Murray Greatest Hits Collection you can buy by calling one eight hundred you know whatever. Um, this song went to number thirty three on the charts. Do you remember the scene in the movie with Bud and Sissy when they played this song? That's what they danced to at their wedding. When they oh, got is mar- that right? When they got married okay. at Gillies. Okay. So oh, I tell you, my memory of this song is. Our aunt Betty, we we were we, I guess we were at the cabin, okay, and it was all like on the radio. And Betty said, "Oh, Aunt Murray, she has such a nice voice." I don't even remember. I I'm, <laughs> I'm not doubting it. I I, yeah, because we one of the things that Sean and I always used to do is, our every summer our our extended family we would get and go to our one a cabin for an entire weekend. It's like cramming thirty people into one building. And but one of the things that Sean and I always did was we always brought music, right? 
whether it was you or me, we'd always bring a radio or something that that would be playing music in the background. It was kind of like the soundtrack that you and I always sort of insisted on, that there's some kind of music going sure. on. Sure. Much like it is today. Uh, but Anne Murray had a very long and respected career uh, as a Canadian country music singer. And this is, this is, like I said, this is her signature song, even though it didn't chart so well on the Billboard going to number 33. But I think it was one of the first singles that was released off of the Urban Cowboy soundtrack, okay. which helped lead to other songs that we're going to actually play right now. I thought you might do that. Yeah, there you go. When we're together, it feels so right. Could I have this dance for the rest of my life? Partner 